today on Ag News Daily. Cattle uh, went to market, of course, but there's still a lot of cattle in that part of the world. So you've got to get corn to where uh, the corn's being used. And so I think moving forward, you're going to see more corn head west across the Mississippi River than what we've seen uh, probably ever. Well, listeners, welcome back to the Ag News Daily Podcast, a Monday edition here on December 12th, 2022. Tanner and Delaney joining you here at the beginning of the week on an episode brought to you by Mystic Lubricants. For a full look at their line of stellar products, visit mysticlubes.com, M-Y-S-T-I-K, lubes.com. Delaney, we're back at it. Another good week right in front of us. We're back at it. It's hard to believe Christmas is like a week and a half away. Two weeks. Isn't it two weeks? It's got to be on the weekend. At least I hope it, it is. is. It is. I guess it's two <laughs> weeks from yesterday. Yeah, I got to squeeze a wife's birthday in between now and then also. Two, week, two weeks from yesterday. I had to think about this. Math's hard. I did announce in the intro that it was December 12th. So there's 13 days till Christmas. Thank you. I was just having some <laughs> math problems. Because I feel like next week... People will be working, but by the end of the week, I think most people will not be focused on work. I totally get it. I know other people that are counting their days. Delaney, there's been some poultry growers in Northwest Iowa that have been very closely watching the calendar and their flocks. Unfortunately, there are three more breakouts of avian influenza in Cherokee County, Buena Vista County. Both of those have now totaled a potential 100,000 birds that will be euthanized. I've got a couple of classmates and a couple of friends of the Farm for Profit podcast that were Snapchatting throughout the week saying that the bird flu was five miles away and then it was two miles away. But uh, it looked like today, successfully, a couple of those barns were getting dumped. Uh, unfortunately, Around 50,000 turkeys were located in each county, totaling that 100,000. This is now adding Delaney to the record total of avian influenza flock triggers over that of the last break that we've been reporting on. So unfortunate news here in the state of Iowa, but I don't think it's going to get any better anytime soon. Well, you know... It's interesting, too, because usually we see avian influenza start to die off when temperatures drop. And we're certainly going to see temperatures continue to drop here, Tanner, as blizzard warnings and winter storm warnings have been posted for much of the plains and upper Midwest as winds could reach 40 to 50 miles per hour and over a foot of snow in quite a few areas in the upper plains. We're looking at specifically the Dakotas, Northwest Nebraska, Colorado, Wyoming, a little bit of Minnesota, and Iowa. We'll all face some pretty inclement weather here, Tanner, over the next 10 days or so. Thankfully, where we're at in central Iowa, I don't think, knock on wood, we'll get too much of that. But Right, and it it looks like there's a portion of the southern United States, Louisiana in particular, that might get a couple of severe thunderstorms that could produce tornadoes. But I I think you're right. Judging by what I've seen, Iowa is in a pretty stable environment here throughout our nation. But also, we look at the UK and temperatures over there have now plummeted below freezing temperatures, causing more concerns about energy supply. The national grid 
company has now put two of their coal-fired units on standby as snow continues to blanket the territory. They are an energy supplier for the UK, and they have put notification to two winter contingency status on units to hopefully give the public some more confidence. Delaney, this came out Monday morning. It posted to its Twitter account that this is not confirmation that the units will be fired up on Monday, but that they are available to the energy supply operator if required. Of course, this comes from the energy crisis in which the UK is looking to secure their energy supply in the wake of the Russian invasion of Ukraine, which put pressure on the price of their oil and gas fuels typically used for wintertime heating. So it'll be interesting to see, Delaney, if these two facilities get taken off of standby and actually put to work because that's a technology that the UK has been trying to phase out for some time. Absolutely, Tanner. But we are, I'm going to take things back to weather here as we are continuing to see the worst drought in 10 years ahead of this year's winter season, especially here in the state of Iowa, Tanner. This is continuing to be um, a very dry winter and hopefully we get some snow coverage, which we could certainly use, you know, we talked a little bit about this last week coming back from farmer to farmer. A lot of farmers were in that same boat saying we could certainly use some snow coverage and wetter weather this winter season because 2023 really could be the year that we see some make or break it as far as production goes for 2023 or see some sort of mass crop failure, Tanner. Of course, we don't know that for sure. We could have a lessening La Nina pattern and go into an El Nino pattern, which would be wetter weather. And certainly I think farmers would mostly welcome that, Tanner. But as we head into the uh, winter season, a lot of folks are hoping for rain. We did see rain, however, in the state of, or excuse me, in the country of Argentina. We saw better than expected rainfall over the weekend, and that certainly pulled old crop soybeans lower today. We are continuing to watch Brazil also plant 104 million metric soybean acres, and their weather has been good enough to keep in line with trend line yields, whereas Argentina did get some rain this weekend, but all in all still dealing with very dry conditions there, Tanner, and may not see a, you know, a record crop turnout in January, February timeframe. Yeah, I felt like out at Farmer to Farmer last week, we had a lot of conversations around South America and the crops and the weather. Uh, it's definitely agriculture has become a global game for lack of a better term, that everybody continues to keep an eye on. We've also talked a lot about the carbon pipelines, especially those going through the state of Iowa where we record today. It looks like a couple of counties, Shelby and Story County in Iowa, are beginning to push back. Delaney, you had reported on a couple of ordinances passing to slow down the Summit Carbon Solutions Pipeline. Summit Carbon Solutions has now filed federal lawsuits against those two counties specifically around the area of setback requirements. So I didn't, if you had reported on this, I had missed it and I apologize, but Shelby County had voted into an ordinance that there needed to be a thousand feet between pipelines and residences. Story County also called for a buffer that based upon a six inch pipeline would require a 1,670 foot buffer. So 
I can see why this would make it very difficult for pipelines to come through an area. Because if you think about there being uh, a distance in which you need to be away from any existing structure, it would be very difficult to get through there. A couple of residents stated that it happens in microseconds when pipelines unzip and CO2 gets into the area around it. The pipeline ruptures, the plume could travel thousands of feet, if not miles. So some stated that even though they voted for those ordinances, they wish they would be even further setbacks. So it'd be interesting to keep an eye on these lawsuits now as we look at the future of these CO2 pipelines. Delaney, it's quite interesting as you pull up articles written from both sides of how how, how the corporations, companies, and residents are being characterized. One stating that the deep-pocketed corporations are hoping to build the pipelines and uh, others stating, you know, varying opinions of those that are trying to stop them. So quite an interesting side with oppositions on both sides. And we'll see if we'll get to a resolution, but we're going to report on this all the way through. Zainer, switching tracks a little bit, but still on the pipeline front here, we also got word that the Keystone oil pipeline, their timetable to restart still remains unclear. I think you maybe mentioned last week, Tanner, that the pipeline had shut down due to some leaks. I don't remember what portion of that was it maybe during nearing uh, Kansas. Was that the portion of the That's pipeline? Correct. Yep. Well, we still saw traders expressing some worry here on Monday about how long this is going to take to clean up because this was the largest spill in nearly a decade. And to restart the Keystone Pipeline is going to be quite a lot of cleanup and a lot of work. So we still don't have a clear timeline as to when that will start, Tanner. Um, But they did say they were starting to clean up as early as Sunday. More than 250 people have been working on cleaning up the leak, including third-party environmentalist specialists, because, of course, they have to get involved now that a pipeline has had some leaking. And really, ultimately here, the markets are a little bit worried about the supply here as the Keystone Pipeline is a large um, supporter of oil movements and oil production in the United States. Yeah, absolutely. That's another one we're going to have to keep an eye on as things progress, because we knew there'd be some supplemental pushback onto these other pipeline projects just based upon that leak making the news. We don't want to forget about our sponsor for today, so let's pause for a message from them. Since 1922, Mystic Lubricants has been providing superior performance and protection for farmers who demand the most out of their equipment. Today, Mystic continues to develop products in real-world conditions that are specially formulated to meet the unique demands of your specialized machines. They provide advanced protection for engine longevity and are the choice of people who make a living working the land. Learn more about Mystic products at mysticlubes.com. That's M-Y-S-T-I-K lubes.com. Well, Delaney, Kansas neighbor, Missouri, the lawmakers have been quite busy as they are citing concerns about environment, food security, and the fate of family farmers. Missouri legislatures are filling out several bills that they will file ahead of the open session in January to restrict ownership of agriculture land to non-American residents. Both Democratic and Republican senators have pre-filed bills ahead of the January session. For 2023, Missouri's General Assembly will look to halt foreign purchases of Missouri farmland. A couple of senators stated 
just at a basic level, I think the question of, do you think someone who is not an American citizen should own Missouri ground? Senator Bill was the one that made those comments, and he stated that his answer was no, which is the reason they're working hard to pre-file bills. Delaney, that is something that I had not a lot of knowledge about as to how the process goes, but it looks like there's going to be upwards of six bills that will be sitting there waiting for politicians as they return after the first of the year. Lawmakers voted in 2013 to allow up to 1% of Missouri's state farmland to be held by foreign entities. Soon thereafter, Chinese company purchased Smithfield Foods, which operates Missouri's largest industrial hog farms and around 40,000 acres of Missouri farmland. So this is clearly why the focus is coming out in the state of Missouri. So it'll be interesting, Delaney, to see if any other states fall behind, follow behind and put into some law of their own to stop or slow down these types of acquisitions. Well, Tanner, as we continue to see China reopen, that certainly has interesting effects on the markets, which we'll get into here with Matt Bunnett in just a moment. But we also have a lot of attention focused this week on the Federal Reserve's meeting coming up on Tuesday and Wednesday. We will get some updated inflation data as well as some information about the consumer price index before the Fed starts its meeting tomorrow. And we will also see, Tanner, what they think as far as the future goes for increasing or decreasing interest rates here. But do you have any insight into that since you are in the banking world? It's quite interesting to see where long-term funds have positioned themselves. Our long-term fixed rates five years and beyond have continued to decrease over the last 10 days which would provide a little bit of insight as to a higher rate hike coming from the Fed more than expected, because typically with an inverted yield curve, not to try and get too technical, where long-term rates are lower than short-term rates, that we trigger a more rapid decrease because of the projection for a recession or a downturn. So one that might trigger that a little bit sooner is another rate hike. So I've been hearing a lot in our circle of at least a half and maybe even one more three quarter percent hike because of the inflation numbers coming back higher than they had projected last week. Well, I guess we will see what comes out of that meeting this week and whether that uh, forecast turns out to be true or not. But we also saw over the weekend, Tanner, another barrage of missiles directed, this time at Ukraine's power grid, which were able to shut down activity at Ukraine's three major approved ports over the weekend. At least least two of them are already operational once again, but nonetheless, they are continuing to deal with some of those challenges that many of us would not want to be dealing with whatsoever, Tanner. So... I uh, don't think that's something we want. We also don't want any delays in our shipping sector. And I apologize for not having a great understanding of this next headline. And we'll work on that between today's episode and the next. But it looks like there's a hearing being held now between the Surface Transportation Board and the Union Pacific Railroad because of embargoes causing transportation issues. So the Union Pacific is using embargoes right now to help supply chain issues, but it looks like they may have caused more supply chain problems that are hampering company operations. So it looks like there will be a hearing scheduled for December 13th and 14th, which would be tomorrow and Wednesday, 
to bring the UP CEO in and discuss what the plans are for the future. Because if there's a substantial increase in the use of embargoes to reduce rail traffic congestion, that may cause even more detrimental factors to the businesses that are having supply chain issues. So we'll pay attention to that tomorrow as we get more updates. But I'm going to dive more into that myself, Delaney, to see if I can't get a better understanding of what we're looking to debate here. Fantastic. Well, Tanner, I tell you what, I think I am all out of news for today. What about you? That's all I've got. I'd say let's pause one more time for a message from our sponsor before you run down the markets. Since 1922, Mystic Lubricants has been providing superior performance and protection for farmers who demand the most out of their equipment. Today, Mystic continues to develop products in real-world conditions that are specially formulated to meet the unique demands of your specialized machines. They provide advanced protection for engine longevity and are the choice of people who make a living working the land. Learn more about Mystic products at mysticlubes.com. That's M-Y-S-T-I-K lubes.com. Well, Tanner, as we take a look at markets for today, we certainly did not have a great day today in the soybean markets. Corn and wheat did finish higher. Soybeans finished in the red. March old crop corn finished 10 cents higher today at 6.54. New crop corn added four pennies today to close right under $6 at 5.97. Both old crop and new crop soybeans gave up quite a bit of action today as the January contract finished 23 and a quarter cent lower at 14.60 and a half. New crop soybeans down 15 and a half cents to close at 13.83. In the Wheat pits today, the March contract added 20 and a half cents to close at 7.54 and three quarters. March hard red winter wheat added almost 30 cents today to close at 8.62 and a quarter. So we hop over to take a look at the livestock markets today. We saw mostly green across the screen. February live cattle settled at $1.5610, up 55 cents on the day. March feeders added 12 and a half cents to close at a buck 85.22. And February lean hogs closed 30 cents lower today, ending the session at 83.70. Tanner, without further ado, let's kick it over to our conversation with Matt Bennett. Well, folks, for today's hashtag Market Monday discussion, we are joined today by Matt Bennett of AgMarket.net. Matt, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I am doing well, but soybeans, not so much. Matt, what was going on today? You know, it's a variety of things. I mean, of course, Argentina got a little bit of rainfall, but, uh, you know, a lot of talk about uh, in China that COVID is kind of blowing up, getting out of control, if you will. Uh, you know, and this is just uh, a few days removed from them saying they were going to kind of ease some of the restrictions with regards to COVID. But I guess I'm taking it a little bit cautiously. Uh, it seems like several times that we've gotten these announcements. Uh, they bought beans within the next day or two. <laughs> and so, you know, I, I'm not saying that there's not people getting sick by any stretch of the imagination, but it was definitely in the market today. And so, you know, a person can't get too tore up over it. I mean, we, uh, we've we had quite the run here over the last couple of three weeks. So, um, you know, uh, bean market, maybe just a little bit wore out. And I think there was a lot of spread unwinding, whereas folks had been long uh, beans, uh, short wheat, short corn, uh, a little bit of those uh, spreads were unwinding today along with the, the other information. Matt, when you look at 2023 and you look at the acreage discussion and all these other issues right now, which commodity are you most bullish for the new year? 
Boy, that's a really good question. So most bullish for the new year, you know, you've got to think about several different things. Okay. So first of all, let's just talk corn. I mean, when you look at, for instance, these 23 corn is pushing up on six bucks again. You know, we've been up in that 630 and above area. Uh, actually, we traded above it for quite a while, but uh, at this stage of the game at $6 on a true hedge, uh, a lot of folks are looking at that saying, boy, I just don't know if I can make that go. Uh, you know, it's going to be the most expensive crop that the U.S. producer has put out uh, whenever it's all said and done. Um, obviously, some people were able to prepay, but you know as well as I do that the fertilizer costs were intense for most producers, you know, and, and your input costs could be uh, profound. So that's the situation with corn. I do think that you've got the opportunity to buy some of those acres heading into spring time frame, into the February crop insurance period, if you will. But at the same time, you know, I don't know if we can get wildly bullish just yet. We've got to get a really good idea what's going to happen in South America. I think if the Safrina crop doesn't pan out, by all means, I think you could revisit some of the uh, levels we saw with old crop corn this last summer. So I think there's some potential there. You look at beans, though, uh, 1383, uh, obviously uh, fantastic price. I mean, uh, most producers have not had the opportunity to hedge at those levels in their career uh, previous to planting the beans. It's just not something that we've had uh, as a real common type price. And so uh, I asked myself how much uh, upside there is there, especially uh, right now. It looks like Brazil's got a pretty darn good crop. Argentina has been the one that's been on the news but Brazil's looking at maybe 150 plus million metric ton crop. If that's the case, I struggle to think there's a ton of upside there. So at the present time, as we sit, maybe uh, this wheat market would have as much opportunity as anything. I mean, you look at, for instance, July 23 wheat at 767 three quarters where we closed today. We finally saw the light today in this wheat market, a little bit of a rebound. Uh, I've got to think that uh, with the wheat crop going in uh, to dormancy and just terrible shape, especially in the West, uh, there's no question that, uh, especially domestically, we could be looking at a shortage wheat. Uh, and that's at a time whenever we've continued to dwindle our carryout uh, numbers over the last several years. So Matt, the other thing obviously heading into the winter months here is we're going to start to see some basis numbers increase or decrease or I should say weaken in some areas. You know, you look right now at basis, especially in the Nebraska area, things are abnormally strong for this time of year. Do you think the market's going to have to continue to have these higher basis to entice farmers to throw some grain into the market? Yeah, and that's a really good question and good observation. You know, uh, the thing that we've seen is that uh, early on, a lot of these originators were trying to get their needs met out till, oh, I'm going to say late spring, early summer time frame. And I'm assuming that gives them the opportunity to kind of see uh, how things are going to go in the Southern Hemisphere. Uh, there's certainly the opportunity to see uh, some corn enter the U.S., uh, you know, especially in the Southeast. I mean, th those things are not far-fetched, especially if uh, our price levels are plenty high. But I've said all along, we felt like the strongest basis levels for some time would happen uh, as we closed out harvest. And then we'd see maybe the uh, the originators had their needs met for the time being. Uh, that doesn't mean basis is going to fall apart by any means, because quite frankly, we've heard about a lot of areas where there just hasn't been a whole lot of corn moving. So uh, as you and I talk here, you know, uh, uh, on December 12th, I've got to think um, that you're going to be uh, seeing basis maybe get uh, better over the holidays 
holidays, whenever not too many people want to haul grain, quite frankly. Um, but then after that, I think that you're going to be at the mercy of, uh, there's going to be a whole lot of grain moving. Uh, you know, you get into January, February delivery, and a lot of farmers are going to be getting into their bins. A lot of people are going to be seeing corn move. So your chance for basis to really get better is going to be later on in the marketing year. Now, one thing I'll say is that whether you're talking Kansas, Nebraska, I mean, there is some really, really impressive basis levels still today. Uh, at harvest time, I had a producer that was hauling in $9 corn across the scale in Kansas. It was running about $2.10, $2.15 over the board. And so uh, some of these basis levels are going to have to be strong because, Delaney, as you and I both know, the heat or the heart of the drought, if you will, was in the western Corn Belt. And so Kansas, Nebraska, Oklahoma, Texas are the areas that uh, we saw the worst weather as far as heat was concerned. And we also know those are the areas with the most cattle. And so uh, some of those cattle uh, went to market, of course, but there's still a lot of cattle in that part of the world. So you've got to get corn to where uh, the corn is being used. And so I think moving forward, you're going to see more corn head west across the Mississippi River than what we've seen uh, probably ever. So Matt, I think my final grain related question here, as we do think ahead to 2023, we're not going to have many more podcasts left to tackle markets here in 2022. Where do you see the acreage battle going in 2023? Another great question. You know, the thing about the acreage battle is you got to ask yourself, uh, what's the, what's in the producer's head? You know, and so as they went into harvest, uh, there was a lot of prepay, uh, in my opinion, that was paid for as far as fertilizer was concerned, maybe around that, uh, oh, I don't know, farm progress showtime period. And I think a lot of producers looked at the previous year, you know, the fall of 2021, your best fertilizer prices were, of course, on a prepay level before you got into the heart of harvest. And so I think uh, several producers stepped in and were able to book those needs. But I think you got into the harvest and, uh, you know, a lot of these guys are saying and gals are saying, holy smokes, I'm not sure what I want to do, you know. So I think there's going to be a fair amount of swing anchors and you can't discount the fact that the average producer in the U.S. has done pretty good with soybeans the last several years, awfully uh, competitive prices. And then, of course, yields on beans have really been impressive, uh, especially in certain areas uh, over the last few years. And so you've got to think that there's going to be a fair amount of competition. This renewable diesel story is something we're going to talk about moving forward. I don't know how much it'll factor into acreage for 23. But I would say this, Delaney, I'm not so sure that this will be the last year where we feel comfortable uh, heading into spring, that corn acres will outpace bean acres. I'm pretty sure moving forward, that's going to be a toss-up, if not a tip of the cap to, to bean acres, but starting in maybe 24, being able to outpace corn acres. So my prediction right now would be corn around 91 and beans around 89. I think you get a full 180 as long as prevent plant doesn't step in the way. So Matt, Switching over here to talk livestock, what are your thoughts here on the live cattle market moving forward as we head into Christmas time? You know, I've been a fairly well-known bull as far as cattle are concerned. Uh, it's been one of those deals where cattle market uh, has got the right fundamentals. If the equities market does not fall apart, if consumer confidence stays strong, I feel fats are going to be a heck of a property to own. I think you could see awfully good price levels moving into the third and fourth quarter, but it's also a futures market. So you might see a push into the mid 160s as you get, uh, you know, as you get into that um, uh, second quarter time frame. But I'm, I'm pretty friendly as far as fats are concerned feeders uh, actually performed well today with corn being up so i'm pretty big fan of protein right now i think as long as uh, again as long as you don't see the equities markets fall apart i think that the fundamentals are as such it's gonna be pretty tough to kill uh, cattle or hogs uh, for the time being 
Fantastic. And Matt, I know you guys have a big conference coming up here in just a couple of months. Tell our listeners a little bit more about that. Yeah. So we're going to be meeting in Nashville on February the 6th. If you go to agmarket.net, you can find information on the conference. And so we've got a whole slate of speakers, both on Sunday afternoon, evening timeframe into the whole day for Monday, you know, and then an opportunity to, uh, you know, to go through RFD on Tuesday morning. There's a lot of different things going on. We'll have a fair amount of press there that's going to be detailing what we're up to. And so uh, we're really looking forward to it. But again, you can find all that information at agmarket.net. Fantastic, Matt. Well, thanks again for joining us today. Certainly appreciate your time and hope you and your family have a great holiday season. Absolutely. Same to you. Well, Delaney, I always hate missing those conversations, especially with Matt, obviously one of our favorites here on the podcast, as are all of our guests. But thanks for covering our Market Monday conversation for today. Absolutely, Tanner. And we're going to have some great conversations coming up later this week. So folks, do stay tuned. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Ag News Daily. Tanner, with that, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.